Well, I was uh, about to lead a trip uh, where we were headed to Brooklyn, New York. And I'm not much of a city guy. I don't do well in the cities. Uh, But I was preparing to lead this trip. And as we were uh, getting ready to take 13 students to New York, uh, we had these things that we would call mission trainings to where we would bring everyone together and we would talk through all the details. What were the expectations? What were we supposed to remember? And what were we supposed to do? My wife, Hope, and I would be leading the trip. It was nearing the last day of the trip, and there were specific guidelines and things that we were allowed to bring. And any time I would be leading the trip, I would make sure to tell the students, you need to read the entire manual. If you skip out on the manual and you bring something you're not supposed to bring, we will either take it or you could get in trouble, right? So, uh, nearing the last day, we're in this church that's probably 200 years old. Uh, It's not extremely new. There's all these old things kind of, you know, it's kind of hanging on. And uh, we were packing up to leave this church building and headed to a hotel for the next couple of days. And as we were, um, I heard off in the distance uh, someone running a blow dryer, And I had an assumption of who it was, but I wasn't 100% at the time. Uh, The blow dryer ran for about five seconds, and then what happened? All the electricity went off. Uh, All the kids started to kind of yell a little bit, kind of freaking out. Uh, All the girls had ran out of the bathroom with their hair sopping wet. And lo and behold, someone came out who was last and kind of poked their head around the corner. And who was it? It was my wife. Hope had come around the corner. She'd come running up to me, and you know how she does? She goes, hubby, what happened? I said, what do you mean, what happened? You are not supposed to bring a blow dryer. It was in the manual, and I showed her no blow dryer. I said, you are what? The pastor's wife. And so she knows I'm sharing this story, and she, you know, we had to go over it to make sure I wouldn't make anything up. That actually happened, and she did that. And I told her, I said, when you don't read the manual, what? It affects everyone involved. When you don't see everything that we are supposed to do or not supposed to do, it not only affects you, but affects everyone involved. And my wife, who was the culprit, the only girl in the building with dry hair, it was her. She got busted. Today, what we are going to talk about is none other than drunkenness, alcohol, Uh, And I mean, happy Thanksgiving, right? Welcome to church. We are right in this Proverbs series, uh, about to finish up here, and uh, I've been tasked to talk about alcohol. Um, When I pull a picture like this up on the screen, all of you have certain feelings, you have certain emotions, some of you are smiling right now, some of you are angry right now. I could have brought a case of beer and just set it right here, but some of you would have left this church. Uh, You know, there's certain things that cause us to feel a certain way about that. There are some of you in this room that you hate alcohol. You hate it. You don't like the taste. You don't like the smell. You don't like anything about it. And when I pull this up on the screen, you're kind of already checked out. And you're wondering, what am I going to say? Some of you, you're intrigued. You're kind of like, hey, I've never really heard a sermon on alcohol, and I would like to know. And then there are some of you sitting here where you would say, hey, I kind of drink whenever I want. I have no restrictions. There's nothing you are going to say today that will change my mind regardless of what the Bible says and what I'm supposed to do. And then there is another camp of us to where when you see that, 
it causes for you to remember something. The mistakes you made, the decisions you made, and really it causes a lot of guilt for you when you see that, and it causes some anxiety. When you see alcohol or you see someone drinking alcohol, it causes emotions or feelings for us. And what I want to do today, I'm going to be in the book of Proverbs majority of the time, the majority of the time, 23 and 31, but I'll kind of be all over the place because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, there are things in the Bible that talk about alcohol, and if we don't read the entire manual, it will lead us to make decisions and have beliefs that not only affect you, but everyone involved in your life. Everyone is impacted by your decision about this one topic. And as a culture, we have strong feelings about this, don't we? There are, I mean, all of you, if I sat you down and said, tell me what you think about alcohol, you would have plenty to say, plenty to say. For me, out of all the sermons we've went through in Proverbs, and even kind of where we're going in the future, in, this, in the, the new year, on our sermon series, I don't think I've ever taught a message more personal for me. I don't think I have. There's nothing that I have talked about to where I have so much personal experience, guilt, maybe feelings about, other, none other than alcohol. Why? The first time I got drunk, I was 13 years old. He had showed up. I probably overpaid him. He gave me and my friend a case of beer. And I had never drunk, drank beer up to that time. And that was the first time that I was drunk. And little did I know that that would start me and my life down a path of drinking that was uncontrollable. Literally uncontrollable. And as I prayed through today, I didn't even, I mean, even this morning, I'm praying through it. I said, God, I don't want to exaggerate. I don't want to glorify. Help me to find that balance to share, to let you know I understand and not to read into any of the texts that we have before us today. But for me, it truly was an addiction before I came to know Christ. I couldn't go uh, even a weekend, let alone a weekend. I couldn't go two days. I remember it was on the way to school. It was on the way to church. It was in the evenings. My life for about a two and a half year span was consumed with alcohol, right? And for some of you, you would resonate with that. And for some of you, you do not understand in any way. There's nothing about it for you that you would say, I get that. That makes sense to me. What I'm asking all of us to do for the next couple of moments as we approach the Bible, as we look at what Scripture says, to lay aside personal conviction and personal feelings and say, what does the Bible say? Because I have one question as we jump into this, one easy question. Is there anywhere in my life, or have I allowed my personal convictions to become biblical commands? I think all of us do this in a lot of ways. I think when we talk about dancing, right, uh, older generation, they're like, biblical, you can't dance, right? And then they're dancing at the wedding, except if, unless it's the electric slide. Or some of you would say cigars. Cigar is a biblical uh, command that you can't smoke cigars. Or for some of you, it would be modesty, right? For some of you, when someone reads the Bible on the app, you are in Judgeville, right? You're like, I don't even know how they do that. They're on Instagram, right? You have personal conv convictions, some of you, this one is big in the church world, you believe that the only way you can have a quiet time is when? Before the sun rises. 
And people who would say, I like to read my Bible at night. And you're like, yeah, well, when you get right with Jesus, you'll read it in the morning, right? You, you have personal convictions. And here is the danger. Here's the danger. Legalism always hurts people. Always. And just because we have good intentions does not mean good interpretation. The Pharisees had tremendously good intentions. They wanted to keep people from sinning. That's a good intention. Well, in the midst, they would add command, 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 and so far so, away from what the Bible actually said. And you and I do this all the time, and we get away from context. I was the middle school pastor. We were, I was leading, again, another mission trip. That's where all the stories happen. And uh, in the evenings, we were working through the book of Colossians. And I would be with these six, seven students at night. We would work through Colossians. We'd talk about what it means. And in Colossians chapter 2, it says, Let no one be your judge for what you eat or what you will drink. Or food or new moon or Sabbath, talking about Jew and Gentile. Well, one of the kids in the, in the group, I asked him if I could share this story. He said yes. He said, hey, you know what? Kids judge me for being fat. And this verse shows that nobody can judge me for what I eat or drink, that I can eat whatever I want. And all the guys are like, yeah, me too. And one guy's like, yeah. And they're all kind of rallying up. I was like, hey, sit down, sit down. I said, this is what the Bible means when it says this. Yes, they shouldn't do that, but no, this is the context of the Bible. Well, funny story, we, you know, Sunday we would recap the trip, and uh, this kid, he uh, said, hey, I want to share the, the no judging of what I eat story. I said, no, 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 that's out of context. You're not sharing that here. Well, I was kind of new as a pastor, so I gave him the microphone. I said, hey, just don't do it. Well, any middle schooler, you know, he gets ready to share, and he goes like this. I want to tell you about Colossians 2.16, and he goes on to tell these, this story, and it was absolutely hilarious, and I had to share with the, class, or, you know, the group afterwards. We have to see scripture in what? Context. Because this phrase is true when it comes to drinking. Drinking alcohol is not a sin. It's not. Um, we will talk about wine, strong drink this morning. We're going to talk about what the Bible says and biblical wine. And was it, you know, Welch's? Was it not? Was it jelly? What was it? What was in the Bible? We're going to talk about all that. But it is not a sin. It says in Psalm 104, uh, verses 14 to 15, it says this. You cause the grass to grow for livestock, for the livestock, and plants for man to cultivate. We like that that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man. Some of you got a new scripture memory verse this morning. Uh, there is, what, what wine was created for was to gladden the heart of man. The Holy Spirit did not lose his mind over sour grapes. <gasps> oh no, the devil allowed the grapes to get sour. Fermented right there. He's not losing his mind. That God invented wine. And the reason he invented wine was for man to enjoy wine. Jesus' first miracle, some of you don't like, in John chapter 2, uh, verse 10, it says this, Everyone serves the good wine first when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But Jesus, but you, have kept the good wine until now. His first miracle to prove his deity was to take water and to turn it into wine. And not just bad wine, they said, but good wine. And we have to be careful as well. Again, this is super hard to talk about because... Uh, alcohol and wine is extremely cultural. If you were to go to Italy, if you were to go on a mission trip to another country and you were to take communion, a lot of times it's with real wine. And for some, some churches, that's what they will practice. And for a lot of you, a lot of you, the reason you hate alcohol, you hate it, you don't like anything about it, 
I want to come out of the gate and say it is for great reasons. It's, you have legit reasons, but I'm going to talk about what to do uh, today with those reasons and how to think about that. But uh, in the Proverbs, I'm going to give you five quick things that alcohol does, or drunkenness does, and what it does. The first thing is this, drunkenness medicates. You have to remember, in the Bible, they do not have the, the medicine that you and I were, are offered today. Um, that there is, for, for that, none of, none of you in this room would want to go into a surgery without morphine. None of you would want to go into a situation with a lot of pain. I mean, we get a sniffly nose and we drink a NyQuil like it's water. We're like, we need it. You know, we, for us, we use it to medicate in some regards. And in Proverbs, this is what it teaches, uh, 31, 6 and 7. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery no more. It's not teaching that if you're poor, you're like, well, I'm poor too, bitter distress. I mean, so it's, it's not that it's a bypass to get drunk because you, ain't, you don't make that much money. What the proverb is teaching, that for the one who is hurting and ill, give them strong drink and wine, that it is used to medicate. Now, because of our sinfulness, just like a lot of things, we will take what God has created that is good, and we will take it and distort it into something that is not good. So we'll take wine and say maybe it was used for medication, but we'll use it to medicate maybe certain things that you and I are going through, right? And just because it is so fitting for us to talk about this, what COVID did and when everything shut down, it didn't create, I don't believe it created issues. It just exposed them, right? That it took things that were, that were just small issues and it made a mountain out of them. So uh, the number one issue with people today, they would say, is what? Is anxiety. That uh, 40% of people struggle with mental illness, and you're like, that's it? My family, they didn't do one on my family. Thanksgiving's coming up, you're like, it's God, they didn't know her. So, I mean, there are a lot of people struggle with mental illness. The number one prescription today is an antidepressant, which a lot of you would know alcohol is an antidepressant. Right when... COVID happened in the month of March. So the essential businesses were open and the liquor stores were open. This is a stat not from gas stations, drive throughs Walmart. This isn't a stat from them. This is a stat simply from the liquor stores. In 2018 to 2019 in March, normal progression was 0.8%. That's normal progression in Ohio. In 2020 in March, uh, from March 1st to March 29th, the liquor store sales increased 23.7%. That's a $140 million increase in Ohio in liquor stores. Now, when they look at the country, they would say liquor stores increased 243%. We're a depressed country, right? And if, there's, if it wasn't uh, COVID you had to drink about, right, it was the election and it was stress and it was family issues. And now people who struggled with it no longer just struggled with it, but they medicated or suppressed issues that were present. It medicates and we use it or have used it to medicate. Number two, drunkenness is fun for a season. Um, what, is, what is hard today, the balance, right, there are some people who will teach that drinking is not fun. Drunkenness is not fun. Sin is not fun. Well, I don't think that's true. I don't think the Bible teaches that. I think that it is fun for a season. That there are times when you maybe remember getting drunk or you do get drunk and you're like, I don't feel that bad. It's kind of why I do it. It's fun. 
It says in Proverbs 23, who has woe? So who's upset? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who tarry long over wine and those who go to try mix wine. Do not look at wine when it is red. When it sparkles in the cup, it goes down smoothly. So if you're hurting, if you have complaining or redness of eyes for us, we will lean into and it goes down what? Smoothly. That it is a way for you to escape in some regards. What I remember about getting drunk was this. If I felt anger, if I felt depressed, if I felt sad, if I felt like I couldn't handle what was before me, I would what? I would drink and I would push it down. And then for that time, I would not feel that way anymore. But what always happens? You always wake up. You always feel that way again. And for those of you who would know, when you push it down harder, it always comes back a little bit stronger. So it's fun for a season. It's easy to escape. And this question, I believe, is important for us to ask. Does God promise to take my desire away to get drunk or high. You're like, hi. I would have liked this morning to talk more about marijuana, but I'm not able to because the time allotted and uh, maybe a different time. I don't know when we will, but I think these are in some way connected. I would love to teach a message on marijuana, but today we will stick with this drunkenness. Does God promise to take desires away? I believe this can be very destructive when Bible teachers do this. Teaches in the Bible, God gives you a new heart and new desires. Galatians 5. But it also, in James 1, it teaches that our desires are sinful. And we have this paradox of the, the godly version of Mike and then the one that's, you know, not so godly. I do not believe, that, and if this is your story, I think that's great. But I don't think it is normative to say when you come to Christ, every bad desire you have ever had is gone. That ain't my story. What's Paul say in Romans 7? I hate to do the things I like to do. That there is an aspect of this where my desires, I have to say, God, would you take them and redeem them? That it is fun for a season and it is easy to escape. Number three, drunkenness makes me stupid. And for those of you who don't like the word stupid, you don't teach it in your house, you don't let your kids say it, I'm sorry, but in the Bible, in uh, Proverbs 12:1, it says those who don't like reproof are stupid. That sometimes the Bible uses strong language to communicate something. Sometimes it is necessary, and I believe in this case, it is extremely necessary. Drunkenness makes me stupid. Proverbs 23, it goes on. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. So it does make me stupid. And this is what I mean by this. Whenever you know what the Bible says about drunkenness, but you just like to have have a few so you're able to go to sleep, right? You just like to have a few, maybe to take the edge off. You just like to have a few more just to maybe, you know, feel different. It's just the holidays. I just do it. It's only on vacation. It's only this time. Drunkenness makes me the exception, right? I'll always have a caveat to it. And I'll say, I know, well, I'll use it as, well, I'm allowed, so therefore I'll just go a little bit further. And I, I will say this, that for those of you where you're in the camp where you'd say, hey, I, 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 this is a struggle for me, you know when you've crossed the line. And only you can know that. 
No one else can sit there and say, is it one? Is it two? Is it? You are the one who is able to say, I've crossed the line. It is, I believe, very, very personal. It says in Proverbs 31, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. And for some of you, would say, that's exactly why I drink. I want to forget. That's the purpose of what I'm doing. I'm trying to forget the stress. I'm trying to forget the weight. I'm trying to forget things. But like I said, you always, hopefully, wake up. And the issues are still there. Drunkenness caused, it says not for kings, because when you get drunk, you all know your, your discernment is a little impaired, right? You make, maybe if, for me, if I don't have a filter, if I get drunk, my filter is gone, right? You, you, you don't judge right, you're not able to discern right between bad and good, so you end up making decisions, and most of you, if you've been drunk, you would already know this. You would already know this. Sin makes me stupid, it is fun for a season, and fourthly, this, uh, drunkenness can lead me astray. Uh, Proverbs 20, verse 1, says this, Wine is a mocker, strong drink a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So, here's what I want to talk about for a second. A lot of you would say that verse for you means you're not going to. You're going to abstain. There are three major stances on this, right? You can, you can say, hey, the Bible permits it, and I'm going to. Uh, the Bible permits it, and I will abstain. And the third view, which I don't even think is, is you can support, is the Bible doesn't permit it, and I abstain. And everyone, anyone who takes a sip, they are sinning before God. I think you have to do what pastors call hermeneutical, hermeneutical, or hermeneutical gymnastics, if I can say it. You make the Bible say what it's not saying. You'll kind of twist it. You'll make this say wine. It was grape juice. It was Welch's. It was this. It was this. Jesus didn't do it. It was, different, uh, it was different stances and things like that. But you see this verse, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It doesn't always lead astray. Not every time. Just because that is my story doesn't mean it's everyone else's story. It's in Ephesians 5.18. Some of you have been waiting for me to bring this up. Do not get drunk with wine. So the biblical wine in that word is used across the board. It means, guess what it means? Wine, right? So you can get drunk with it. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You would know that at a certain point when you drink, it is an absolute rip to walk by the Spirit. You just can't. That when the, the mic version is involved and I drink, I'm no, I am not able to please God at a certain point. Don't be drunk with wine. That's the command. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. That that's a wisdom thing. That it is a sin to be drunk. And then there's always the camp that goes like this. I'm not getting drunk. I'm getting what? Buzzed. I'm not getting drunk. I'm just getting buzzed. It just helps me sleep a little bit more. Makes me a little less irritated around the family. I mean, Thanksgiving's coming up. I just, just two or three. I mean, come on. You don't know my family. Right? We'll always become the exception will always put us in there and say, yeah, but I know that's the case in the Bible, but really, for me, it, and, and like I said, only you can know, and here's what I want to say about this. Personal boundaries need to stay personal. It says in James 4.17, he who knows the right thing to do, but fails to do it to him, it is sin. So a lot of times, what we do, like I said, we talk about alcohol and drinking. Some of you, man, you live in Judgeville. Like, you just judge the mess out of people. Like, you know, something on their story, or you'll see, you'll hear. And, I mean, you just, you want to fight someone over this issue. 
obedience, obedience in this area, right? There is the white and black, don't be drunk, that is the command. But a lot of times we need to say, all right, God, what you've asked of me, the personal boundaries I have added to my life, I'm going to keep those personal. Because anytime I cross the boundary and say, this is what I like to do or, or what I believe is true, I will, if I add that onto other people, I am no different than the Pharisees. And it does say in Luke 22, 18, that in the new kingdom, you will be served wine. That that is what the Bible teaches, right? That John 2, Jesus did turn the water into wine. And number five, the last one, drunkenness is sometimes with bad company. Not always, but sometimes, and this is the proverb, Proverbs 23, 20, and 21. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat. I wonder, let me pause, just some uh, rabbit trail. I wonder if the same people who are screaming about drunkenness are just as passionate about gluttony. I wonder. And the same people who, if, if gluttony, that they just, there's no self-control, but in this one area that they are very controlled in, we become judgmental. The Bible doesn't allow you to separate the two. It usually combines them. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, same thing as Proverbs 21, 17, and, the, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Here's what I know about myself in the past. There was a season of my life that I was unable to make wise decisions by myself. When I was with other people, I wasn't able to be around them and say what? No. That if I went, I would say, hey, I'll just have one, and then it was two, and next thing you know, hey, I'll just stay the night, right? Sometimes it's with bad company. It's in 1 Corinthians um, 15. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. That that's what a lot of people say. Don't be deceived or don't be stupid is what it means. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. So, and I taught this verse like once a month in the youth. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise, what? Will become wise. He who walks with the fools will become a fool. That there are times where I'll have to say, hey, is my company affecting me in such a negative way that in this area I, I end up sinning? I end up taking it a step further. Is it, and this is true in any areas, in this uh, boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, in this family relationship, and this, is my company ruining my walk with Christ and my testimony? Now, because I think this is necessary to say, when we talk about personal boundaries need to stay personal, will you pull that slide back up for me, Shannon? Personal boundaries need to stay personal and mom and dad, I want to talk to you guys for a second. Not, not mine. We already talked on Thursday. We talked about this. That if you have decided to abstain, I think that is admirable. I think that that is good for you. I think that that is wise. But coming from a different perspective, this is what I would like to say. You decided not to drink at the restaurants because Romans teaches uh, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak because you didn't, want, you didn't want someone to stumble because of your decision. You didn't want your kids to see you drinking, so you were like, hey, I don't want them to think it's, it's acceptable. I think that that is admirable. I think that that is wise. I think that that is your decision. But parents, what is really hard to see on the other end is 25-year-olds acting like they're 12 and they need to hide something from their parents and they're running from them in this area. They'll lie, they'll make stuff up. And if you are able to say, hey, this is personal for me and I'm not gonna put personal convictions on my kids. 
if they are of age, if they decide, you're able to say, and here's the question you have to ask. What kind of relationship would I like to have with my kids? What kind of relationship? One where they have to hide stuff from me or one where they can be open and honest and we can disagree. But drunkenness sometimes is with bad company. So here's how I would like to kind of close this out. Three things. What should, what should I do or what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, uh, here's what, in any area of my life, there are things that are white and black. The sin and not sin. Right? So I would say drunkenness is a sin. Clear as day. But then I have to say, well, what is holding me back in my walk with Christ? Because there are, for some of you, so like I said when I started, the Bible is not going to stop you from drinking. Uh, Jesus is not going to stop you from drinking. Uh, you, it, it doesn't matter for you necessarily. And my question for you, if that's in your camp, you'd say, hey, I feel like I can control myself. It's only once a week. It's only once a year. It's only you fill in the blank. My question would be, what would God have to do in order for you to stop? Someone has to get hurt. Someone's got to get a DUI. Someone in the family. I mean, what would God have to do for you to say, okay, I, I will take what the Bible says. Because a lot of times, we're the, we're the exception, right? So I have to say, God, I am willing to lay aside all of my sin. And God, anything that's holding me back or holding me back from following you a little bit closer, would you help me to lay that aside? And then it says in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. So let me be very clear. He is not talking about drinking wine here, right? He is not talking about that. He is talking about food offered to idols and Jew and Gentile cultural differences. He says, because of the culture, because of the people around me, I will lay aside what I'm allowed to do so that I will do what I should do for them. I will not be dominated by anything. And like I said earlier, those who are so passionate about abstaining from alcohol, I wish they would take the same stance with gluttony. I just wish they would that I won't be dominated by anything, that it is self-controlled and it would be wisdom. So I will say this. You have to decide what's right for you. You have to say, what am I supposed to do? If it's for me and my family, and, and what, if is, is it in the house? Is it not in the house? Are we going to? Are we not going to? Will we go where they serve? Will we not? All those types of things. You have to have the ability to say, all right, God, what am I going to do? And if I am unable, unable to set boundaries, then I have to maybe get some help. Number two, what did Jesus do? Or how did Jesus respond? The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton, there it is again, and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now, I was going back and forth about sharing this, but I think I should. Uh, Now, I have to, I just said that. Um, (laughs) That Jesus was willing, was willing to lose the, the reputation and perception of religious leaders in order to reach those far from God. He did not sin. He never sinned. He, he, he was tempted in our way, but he did not sin. But being around these types of people made people really religious say, this glutton and drunkard. So it was a, I, I think I've shared this in some uh, sermons, but I don't know if in here, it was a couple years ago, I was with a friend and we were at a bar I was there, don't tell Butch, like, I was there, no, he knows, uh, and I was there and I was with him, uh, simply there, 
We were playing pool, and in the midst, and we hadn't talked in years, we grew up together in the midst of us being there together. I didn't get drunk. Uh, I had a conversation with him. We talked about the Lord for probably an hour, right? Because, you know, what do you do? I'm a pastor, right? You know, I could lie. I, I usually like to say, what do you do? I teach. Where do you teach at? Uh, Corner of Killian and Pickle. And they're like, wait a minute. Are you a pastor? Like, ah, not really. I mean, I'm just there. Like, you know, and so I told him, I'm a pastor, and it just led into conversation. Well, then he said this to me, hey, if your God guy is so real and personal, why don't you tell him to let me know? Ran into him three weeks later. You know me. I just, hey, man, God tell you anything? He said, nah, not really. I'm like, well, how's life? What's been going on? Uh, he had flipped and totaled his car four times, uh, flipped a dumb thing, and he walked away spotless. And I was like, you think that's capital G? And he was like, I don't know, man. But here, here's what I will say. I, am, I, I would not be able to have that conversation from my perspective unless I went and was there and had that conversation with him. Jesus was willing, was willing, if you're able. I don't think this, I think this is a wisdom call. I think this is different for different people at different stages. When I first came to Christ and I had stopped all that, I don't think I could go. But at that point, a couple years ago, I said, I will go and talk with him. And the last one is this. If you have regrets, you are in good company. You are in very good company. Even if your regrets are last night. Let me talk. Noah, oh, you like Noah. You're like, yeah, the guy with the boat, right? You remember the flannel graph? Like, you remember the guy with the big boat? Yeah, yeah, the water, the fish. He began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and became drunk. Again, there's the biblical wine. He got drunk with it, not Welch's. And he lay uncovered in his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father. Noah is an absolute monster for God. His, his whole life really does great things for God. He accomplishes things. He gets off the boat. A chapter happens, and then this neighbor is making wine. He's getting drunk and naked and commits incest in his family, and he dies. That's a bad ending. That is a terrible ending, right? I want to be like, dude, you, I mean, you were almost there. I wish you would have finished well. But the cool thing about this story is this. When you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, I only think of one or two scenarios. You can't find Noah's mistakes after the gospel. In Hebrews eleven seven, it brings up Noah by faith built the ark, right? And, and you've heard stories, a lot of you, you didn't even know that about Noah. I believe, because, I believe that's intentional by the Holy Spirit too. After the gospel, his mistakes, his mistakes are not remembered. His mistakes or the things he did by other people on his tombstone, in a sense, is not Noah was a drunkard. It's not what it says in Hebrews, 7, Hebrews 11. No, 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 no. It shows of his great faith. And if you have regrets, you are in tremendously good company. As I shared when I started, uh, drunkenness for me was very personal. Started super young, and it was always hiding. It was always lying. It was, it was just out of hand, out of control. I decided to not drink anymore going into my senior season of football. I decided now I'm done. I'm going to commit to this. Not for God reasons or values, but for me because I wanted to play well, I wanted to do well. Well, halfway through the season, I had broke my wrist and I couldn't play for a time. And in the midst of that, really after stopping all the bad things I was doing, I really just caved in even more so. 
And while I had this cast on, and I was, it was really an addiction. At that point, it was addiction to pills. It was, it was drinking. It was all of this stuff that I was just trying to push down this anger that I had towards God. Literally uncontrollable. I had trusted Christ in my bedroom January 13th, 2012. And right when that happened, I remember making the commitment saying, God, I'm done. I don't want to drink anymore. I don't want to suppress this stuff anymore. I am totally done. I will never, ever, ever drink again. I cut off a lot of my friends, which looking back, I maybe take that back, but I cut off a lot of them. One of them had asked me, hey, would you come to senior trip with us? And because I was 18 and I think unwise at the time, I said, yeah, I'll go, but I want to let you know. What am I not going to do? Not going to drink. I'd yet to quit some of the other stuff, but I said, this for me was an I am done drinking alcohol. Well, I mean, a lot of you know this, would know the story, how it plays out. I ended up going on the trip. Uh, we're, we're out on the beach, and I had said, hey, no, 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 I'm not. And then they kept asking, kept asking, okay, hey, I'll just, I'll just take one. I'll just take one. And then it was two, and then it was three. And next thing I know, I'm just absolutely trashed. And if for those of you who follow Christ and you have the Spirit of God inside of you, when you get drunk after you get saved, it is different. It's not as fun. It's like this weird feeling of conviction, and you're trying, it's just, it is way, you can't explain it in my, at least for me, I couldn't explain it. So as you can imagine, this large, large amount of guilt, I mean, just so much shame that I felt. We still had four days to go. I didn't even make it three days. And we go back to the house, and I told him, I said, hey, man, I, I got to go. I got to go. I got I to gotta leave for a little bit. I just, I need, I need to leave. And again, this was midday, right? So this, at this time, it's night, and I leave in the night. I get on this bike, and this was, this was my first Good Friday as a Christian, and I didn't even, I mean, I remember at that moment, it clicked in my mind that this was Good Friday. And it was around that time of year, right? So I'm out on this bike, and I'm, I'm not super charismatic. Like, I haven't heard God speak too much, like audible voice kind of stuff. But there are times in my life where I would say, two times where I would say, I, I felt like he was walking right beside me. Some of you would know what I'm talking about. And it was like he was, had his hand on my shoulder, and I heard him say, Mike, this is exactly why I went to the cross, the, the, the guilt that I felt, I totally felt like it lifted. And that was nine years ago, eight years ago for me. And I have not been drunk since. And I feel like God spoke to me in that moment and said, Michael, Michael, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That in your guilt, in your shame, whatever you are hiding, if, if you're drinking late at night when everyone goes to bed, if you're doing it on the weekends when no one's, and even if it's not drunkenness, I believe God is communicating to us. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And he is full-time. And he is trying to destroy your life. He is trying to destroy my life. But I believe God invites us into something better. And that is abundant life. Let me pray. God, we thank you that we do not have to lean on our own understanding. That we can lean on the wisdom of God. That you provide it to us. That you give us clarity. God, I pray for those in this room that would say, 
they do drink and maybe a little bit too much and a little bit too often. I pray that you would convict. I pray that you would draw them. And Lord, I pray that you would remind them of what Jesus has done for us. God, for those who do abstain and for good reasons, I pray that you would give them the ability to see and to love and to care just like you do. I pray that all of us would have the relational capacity that drunkards would be able to be friends with us, that people far from God would be able to have conversations with us. And God, would you help all of us, myself included, for all of our days to be sober-minded and to be faithful to you. We thank you, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.